Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 229. And just about ready to hit 200,000 uh, downloads. So thank you, everybody. I keep getting all kinds of uh, people trying to get me to join their thing and start advertising odd things, which I believe we've had had some cat training advertising on here. It's like, well, anyone that could train a cat is like a 20,000 times better than me. So I should have I gone over there and listened to some of what that is. But anyway, today's podcast is going to be, uh, I hope, fairly timely given the time of year because people are getting ready to plan, get their puppies that have all been bred here as everyone came in season the last now or recent recent times. So the puppies are coming. And I have been in arguments and debates and discussions, and it's a topic I really enjoy. But I, And I've got done, I think, two podcasts out of the 229 that were on picking a puppy. And I'm going to revisit that. Because as someone said to me, okay, you've got 80 gazillion podcasts. I can't, I don't even know where to go and look for stuff. So <laughs> I guess it's time we should do a little bit of recycle here on some of this. So I'm going to do picking your puppy. Now, one of my very dearest dog friends on the other part, side of the country told me, and I've mentioned this before, I, do, I like your book. I tell all my puppy buyers to buy it except for one chapter that I think you need to remove, and that is how to pick a puppy. Because he is convinced that that is erroneous information, that that is not something that can really be done accurately, and that so when people come and pick up puppies from him and they want a black one, then just here's a black male. Reach in there and grab you one. <laughs> so, and he just, I, I, he'll go to the grave arguing that with me. But my experience over a long time has been that uh, that's actually overall not true. There's always exception. You know, no one, as my dad used to say, the good Lord holds the trump card on this one. You never know for sure, but you can sure do a lot. And the majority of time that I've done it myself or had some people that I've worked with go and pick puppies the majority of the time, it comes out unusually accurate. In other words, they get the one that they would have wanted. And the way, let me tell you how I know that. Because in my dog training and competing and stuff, time, which is fairly extensive, there have been a lot of dogs that I've trained that then we bred, um, not my own dogs, that we bred this phenomenal dog over to this phenomenal dog. And because it, for, all, for all the reasons, and there's a whole nother science over there. But there are a lot of reasons to get these two together. And then I've trained, and then out of those, trained the majority, if not the whole litter. So I got to see all of them and got to see one. Was this a good breeding? Was this one that you want to repeat? Was this what we hoped? And then, you know, what's, what are the dogs like? Because sometimes in a, in a given litter, you have... And one of the positive things in, when you're defining a good breeding, in, in my opinion, it's all any of this is, um, worth what you're paying for it. Um, in, a, in a good breeding, you have a fairly, cons uh, some reasonable consistency in the puppies. In other words, you don't have one that's just doesn't like to retrieve, doesn't want to do anything, is not interested in work, 
just sit, goes sits over in the corner, doesn't like people. And then on the other one, you have this superstar that retrieves and does everything and is super connected. And then another one that's totally different. So when you have a big spread in characteristics and talents and things in a litter, I don't believe that's as positive as when you have a litter where they're all they're a little different. This one's a little better at this. This one's a little quicker at that. This one is a little more sensitive. This one, you got to kind of thump him a little bit. But other than that, they all are pretty darn good at what they do. Okay. That's the kind of litter. That's the kind of breeding that is a good one and that you that breeders would, you know, redo. So many times you have a litter that has this one stellar dog. It's like all the good stuff that was possible got all put into one puppy. And boy, I've seen this, seen this in field trail stuff and seen it in, in the hunting dogs and the pointing lab world. And you get one that's just incredible. I mean, just beyond, just amazing. And the rest, not really. Not matter of fact, maybe not at all. So that is certainly not a breeding that you want to repeat. It's those ones where there's a lot of good dogs, a number of good dogs that came out of that. So when you're researching puppies, and that's not what this is about, uh, I think consistency is something that people overlook. Because there's one dog that came out one time that was great. There might have been all the rest were just like that. In which case, this, this could be a really good breeding. Or that's the only one and the rest are all pets because they weren't even interested in, in any work. So consistency is is something when you're just looking at litters. And it consistency tells you how good the breeding as a whole is, not necessarily how that one individual you want is. So when you want a puppy, it would be very helpful for you as a puppy buyer and puppy raiser to isolate the things that you actually value. Because many, many times people don't. Yeah, we want them to be cute, smart, point. If we're talking about pointing lives, if we're talking about Australian Shepherds, they won't be pointing. It'll be the stuff that they do. All right. So you want the performance things of that breed, obviously. But but list them, you know. And, and for pointing labs, title of this deal, I want a dog that retrieves first, right, because these are retrievers. And if they don't retrieve, then a lot of the other stuff isn't going to be very useful. And usually desire to retrieve is directly proportional to desire to hunt in the upland field. So that's why I weight that retrieving very heavily. Because if, when they like to retrieve, they like to go hunt what they're going to retrieve. When they're moderately interested in retrieving, they are moderately interested in going out and looking for something to retrieve. Unless it's hot or icky or stickers or something. And then maybe not even so much. So desire to retrieve is very important. You cannot tell all about an upland dog since that is a bit of a process to develop a good upland dog. Now, sometimes you see uh, uh, fantastic things in those little guys. I've seen fantastic things in six and seven week old puppies that disappeared later in terms of pointing. Somebody came out one time with a litter out of a really, really great uh, pointing lap female bred to a field trial dog, which everyone tries. Everybody's got to try it. And so we did that 20-some years ago. And so one little dog just locked up and pointed. Uh, went with a, They bought out a, and I don't do this, a fishing pole and the wing on it or feathers or whatever they have to, to determine pointing. And one little dog just locked up. Not another one did in that whole litter. And that one that locked up and pointed never wound up even getting certified. It never pointed 
as an adult. And I think a couple of the others, several of the others did point. Not as good as mom ever. That's often what happens in those, is a generalization in those kind of breedings. When you have a superlative of one type and a superlative of another type and you put them together, you get a little bit less of both. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but they're probably a onesie twosie, not the whole litter. But if you ever find that litter, get it. But anyway, um, so the pointing thing at that age may be meaningful and may not. I never, ever, unless I see it consistently every single time, they do exactly the same thing. The consistency, again, is important. If they point one time, they flash pointed, never did again. Well, this other one kind of pointed every time. I'd look at consistency more than I would how great that one flash point was. But get that in, I've got to stay on task here. Get it in your head. What's important? So we want those characteristics that you're getting the dog. And then there are others. For example, and it, it really does pay to think these things through. Um, okay, is this dog going to be a family dog and living in the house with the family and all that? That, that implies a number of things. One is you don't want a crazy dog. You know, one of those dogs is just ADHD and in and out. And thinking they're a little harder to, to house train because they're thinking about something else and not about what you want. I mean, they're scattered and they're wild and they get wildly excited because they saw a sparrow go by the front window. That kind of characteristic in a dog, um, in terms of your daily life and even training, may be more challenging than you're willing to undertake. I do have a lot of podcasts on training those guys because it takes an extra, takes some thought and awareness and stuff. So is the dog going to be in the house with you or is it a kennel dog? Or are you going to ship it off to have somebody else train it? Those things are relevant in the characteristics uh, that you're looking for. Crazy, if you want a nice house dog with the family that your partner doesn't get mad about because constantly it's eating the couch or peeing in the front door or whatever. Okay, you want a dog that's that's not tends to be a little bit more thoughtful perhaps and cares about what you think. So house dog or not, who's going to train the dog? Now these dogs do need to be trained. Every time I hear somebody, I had a lab, never trained it at all, did everything perfect. I'm somehow in there you trained them because they... I haven't yet met the one that just came out doing everything I wanted. Some of them didn't take much. But who's going to train the dog? If you are, then you want a dog that cares a lot about you and what you think. And you're a big deal to them. And a number of other characteristics I'm going to talk about in here. So if you're going to train it, you want it to train as easily as possible. You don't want to have to be Joe's super expert because the dog has a lot of characteristics that are going to be difficult to deal with in terms of learning, wanting to learn, caring about learning, how much it takes to get them to learn. So who's training the dog? A professional trainer would, would probably be better than you at a problem dog or just a challenging dog. So either way, I'm telling you, I get the one that's easy to train. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. That's always a really good thing to do. There's some other characteristics. One of them is obviously intelligence. Now, everybody on earth thinks their dog is smart. So in your choice of dogs that you've got, you want to get one that is the right kind of smart for you. And that might sound like, what, what do you mean the right kind of smart for me? 
because there are some dogs, and I'll tell you, there's some breeds. I've trained some uh, Tollers, I've trained some Goldens, and I've trained some flat coats that I swear were smarter than any other dog I'd ever known. Now, those guys also are very sensitive. They have a lot of things that make it challenging, but they're like way smart. And frankly, what I've told anyone, I think the Toller people, you need people to become accredited to, to have a Toller. Because, because usually I haven't, maybe I've just never met some of the lower end ones, but gosh darn, those dogs figure things out so fast that it's very difficult to stay ahead of them. And there are labs that are that way that are so good and so quick that they figure you out before you figure them out. So that's not always a good dog. Um, a lot of people have behavioral problems because their dog has learned something they had no idea they taught them because they're unaware of all the stuff that the dog is aware of. So intelligence is good. It's not the most important thing. It needs to be kept in, in, uh, in perspective with everything else. One of the things that you also want, in, is, in my opinion, again, is a dog with a spirit and a willingness to participate in all the things in life, including the hard stuff. Okay, I think that's very important. And particularly in performance dogs and hunting dogs, you want a dog that if you're one of the crazy people that likes to go duck hunting at 5 o'clock in the morning when it's unbelievably cold and sit there quietly until the sun and all of that, you better have a dog that likes that. You know, and even if you got kind of fancy stuff, they're going to be cold. They're going to get into some water at least. Some of them may break a little bit of ice. A lot of safety things there. won't go into that. But you want a dog that's just going, I'm in, man. I don't care if it's cold. Don't care. I don't care if I get wet. I just don't care. That's a characteristic that I would want in any dog I had in the world. Because not a, when you go upland hunting, and, I, man, it's a hot day. And you got to get down to where it's a little better spot and where the pheasant are. And you got to go through some stuff, and it's hard, and the CRP is thick, and whatever else, and there's pokey things. you got to have a dog that goes, I don't care. I love this. I'm into it. I don't care. Obviously, you never overheat a dog, but you want one that says, okay, it's hot, man. I'll just kind of back off a little bit and be careful or, or whatever, because the desire to go hunt and be with you and work with you is more important than if they're physically comfortable or not. Or a dog that you're hunting in pokey stuff. You know, people that have never hunted in like uh, West Texas and Arizona and in Mexico and some parts of Colorado, where there's cactus and yucca and sagebrush and creosote and all kinds of stuff. And it's hard on the feet and it's hard when you run into it. Now they learn, but you want one that goes, let's go. I don't care. They learn, to, uh, they learn about cactus. They learn about yucca. They learn about prickly things and they want to go anyway. And then let's just go to the, to the, to the family side of things, you know, you guys all want to go hiking, you're driving out to Montana, you're going to go up over Yellowstone, you're going to do all this stuff, and you want a dog that's like, awesome, let's go. You know, I don't care if I'm at 12,000 feet, I, you know, or I'm going to, we're going to hike all day and take it easy, I'm in, I'm in, I got to stay on the leash just to go, I'll stay on the leash. In other words, they have a real spirit and desire to participate and be a part of the whole thing and play by your rules. That's another very important thing. So the spirit and the willingness and kind of a little bit of the heart and courage of the dog is very, very important. And then finally, and one of the most important things is that you want a dog that really cares about you. Now, 
one of the biggest misconceptions that I have encountered, and basically I don't mention it too much because it's unpleasant, but, you know, some dogs would literally follow you right off the cliff. You know, you just jump off a cliff, they're going, hey, I'm with you. You know, I mean, being with you, working with you, doing things with you is such a key component in their satisfaction and in their existence. That, and so when you train those kind of dogs, right, they're looking at you going, okay, what are we doing? All right, you want me to run to the back pile 12 times? Okay, I'll do it. I love this stuff anyway, and that's what you want, so I'll do it. That's, there's nobody on earth that doesn't want that, to, to whom you're important. Now, in the world of dogs, including beloved Labradors, you know, that are the service dogs and the, and the dogs, that, they do so much stuff for all of us, and they really are great. They're the number one AKC registered dog and the number one family dog and all that stuff. So everybody thinks, oh, this lab is going to be great. I have met many labs who would just as soon, I just turn them loose and let them go. They'll come back every evening for dinner. Outside of that, don't bother me. They would much rather live without too much human stuff other than, you know, food and water and a nice place when it's cold or hot or whatever. They There's a lot of dogs that way. And if you don't really, <laughs> I don't know who wants that unless you're exactly the same kind of person and you'd be real happy with that dog, then go get that. But be aware, and I'm just going to talk about, I'm gonna, now I'm going to go backwards the other way because I'm going to talk briefly, I hope, about how you kind of look at some of these things when you're picking out your dog. But that item right there, it's not because this is the one that sat on your foot or this is the one that followed your daughter everywhere. She might have smelled like a hot dog, you know. I mean, that could have been why they follow your daughter, your daughter around or because they're very. But what you want is a very connected dog, a dog that connects you. And one of the things, and I remember Jackie Mertens, the only person that ever had a national champion uh, golden retriever. She was insistent upon, if you have a little puppy, six, seven, eight weeks, they have to be able to focus and they got to be able to see, right? Otherwise, this doesn't work. But you pick them up away from their other, up, up, and face them. You're holding them up and you hold them out in front of you and, and they, you make a funny little noise. Sometimes you don't even have to do that. Do they look you in the eye and then stay looking you in the eye? Because an animal eye-to-eye -eye contact is contact that's what that is they are reaching out and they are connecting with you when they just stare at your eyes and you know a seven week old puppy doesn't really know what eyes are but they stare at your eyes and it that is a very good sign now a lot of puppies you pick them up and they're more concerned with what their little littermates are doing on the ground than looking at you all right believe what you see some of you pick them up and they look at you and then they look away. They look at you and they look away. And it's, it's very hard for them to maintain that connection with you. And then there's ones that, you know, you pick them up and if you, maybe you might have to make just a little scoochy sound or something. And they look at you and they look at you and they literally reach in and connect with you. Right? There is, that is a very good thing. Um, and it's not a needy thing. It's not a I'm scared thing. It's a connect thing. And I fully agree with Jackie on that one. I'll tell you that I, the best dogs I've ever had or trained were all super connectors like that. And that's one of the signs that they showed right off. 
So if you pick up one and you're the last thing, it's like, put me down. They're all running over there. I got to foot this. I got to go. Then external things may be more important uh, than you. Or they're just so young that they're not capable of connecting. But I usually kind of believe what you see in terms of um, that stuff. So that's a that's an important one that you ought to do, not just once, but, you know, each time when you go look at the puppies and stuff. So that's an important one. When you're looking at puppies, ideally, here's the ideal situation, which, of course, none of us have. But there's a litter of puppies. Happens to be your next-door neighbors. All right, the greatest litter of puppies for what you like, for what you're going to do with your dog, right there. So when puppies are three, four, five weeks old, you know, things are developing. They can't see. Some of them don't think very well. They're just looking for mom, and they're basically eating and pooping and making noise and rolling on each other and stuff. They began to get a little more developed. For everything I'm going to say, dogs develop at different rates, just like people. You know, there's some young males that shave at 11 and some that don't do it till they're 23. So it's similar to that in dogs. Some mature amazingly early. It doesn't mean they're better than the ones that don't. It just means however that works in their inner workings there in their endocrine system, they're just going a little faster. That's all. So remember that. So everything you see isn't just absolute. Because everybody does this at different rates. But when they're three, four, five, even six weeks old, it's six weeks old, right? They're climbing out of stuff and they're running around and they're attacking each other and all that kind of stuff. But six weeks is awfully, awfully young. Ideally, since this is over at your neighbors, all right, you're going to go over there when they're six weeks old. Also, ideally, you know what sex you want or what's, what sex you are limited to. Now, you may not be able to choose your dog at all. You know, there's four females and you get the fourth one. So there you go. Just hope everybody else does it. So you can still go pick dogs. Just don't tell anybody what you're, you know, that you, I like the little orange collar. Don't tell it. Just go over there. Maybe you really like the orange collar. But you know, the dog is lighter than everybody else or darker or bigger or smaller or something that somebody doesn't like. And so they pick something else on a whole different criteria or they just reach in and grab them like a lot of people do. And that little orange collar is still there. Okay, now your chances are going up of getting the one you want, even if you have last pick. And like my dad always used to say, oh, it depends on who's doing the picking. <laughs> That's really true. But anyway, let's just say you get, you get first pick, right? Because you've been on them to do this breeding for a long time. So, and you want a female. Um, so the thing to do, if you go over there at six weeks, First thing you want to do is don't go right after they ate or right after they had puppy shots or their dew claws off or something, although that should have been real early. You know, in other words, don't have something that's going to impact their energy level or how they feel. Do it at the optimal time and ask the breeder what time that is. You know, and they say, well, mornings after they've had breakfast and then they nap and then they're pretty full of the dickens. Okay, that's a that'd be a good time. So let's say you're going to go to the neighbors at 10 o'clock. And the thing to do, you know, go watch the puppies and, you know, pick them up and smell puppy breath and go ahead and do all that puppy experience stuff. But then what you want to do is, for one, take the females, separate the females. Let's say you got, you're going to get one of the black dogs and there's other colors there. Then separate out whatever it is, but we're doing four females, so take, take out the four females. 
all right, and uh, separate them, put them in somewhere else. Hopefully they have a yard or a kennel run or something where, okay, here's the girls. For one, all the time while you're doing this stuff, if you can, do not have somebody in your ear yammering. Look at how this one, this one did, and telling you the history. In other words, pulling your attention off of the puppies and onto what their opinion is. You know, go ahead and listen to their opinion if you want. Do that because they've watched, they've been with them the whole time. Find out which one makes the most noise in the in the whelping box, because for the past six weeks, there's oftentimes there's one. I don't care what breed either or two that just make noise the entire time. And then the, I always want to find out who that is because oftentimes that one turns out to be the one that barks in the backyard all the time if you're not there. They like making noise. Or they're going to be ones you're going to have to deal with in the duck blind or standing on the line at a, an event because they like to verbalize. So I always let the breeders tell me who makes noise. But I don't ask them, who's your noisemaker? I just want to know, oh, tell me, oh, what's that little loud one? Is he always like that? All right, find that stuff out. Find out who likes to make noise because in the your world with the dog, that may or may not be a factor. I always like to know because nonstop barking is not okay in the world of performance dogs or backyards when you're not home. But go take your girls, see if there's a noisy one, see if there's a, um, a dominant one. See if there's, there's one, they should be marked, right, with collars or oh, some, some way so that you can clearly identify them every time you look at them. Is there one that likes to go in there and just beat the heck out of everybody else? And again, I would write this down. So, you know, blue collar did this and the black collar did that if it was something notable. You know, and little blue collar just whoops the snot out of everybody. I would note that. It doesn't, it's, it's not, I haven't made any decisions yet. I am just observing and taking in information. So I would note that. Um, is there one that has, just sits back by the gate, wants to go back in where the weapon box is and the other puppies? You know? Now, it could be because it doesn't feel good because it ate too much, or it could be because it would really rather not be out there with you guys and be back in there. So watch anything that's somewhat notable. And in the whole time, the whole time for the next until two or three weeks till you take your dog home just notice stuff all the time and what you see consistently is what's important like noise or dominance or fear and timidity watch those things so then one of the things that I really really like to do is uh, and hopefully uh, in the retriever world and those of you that get dogs that do other things you know it would be those things that those dogs do in the retriever world i would very much hope and you already your neighbors know what they're doing so they've had these little guys retrieving they've already had a rolled up sock or a little puppy bumper or something like that not bird parts i hope um they the the desire to retrieve just to retrieve at this age is what's important. If, if they need something that they think they're going to eat, I don't view that as a positive. So there's no eating of anything they retrieve in their lives, so we're, let's don't introduce it now. But they have a little rolled up sock or a puppy bumper, and they've introduced them to retrieving. So take one at a time. You take little blue collar, the one likes to whoop on everybody, and take her out and throw Throw a bumper. You gotta get. You can't do it right outside the little kennel run that they're in, right? Don't do that. You gotta get away a little bit. Take it out. Take the dog out. 
and then and then toss the little bumper and it can't be very far depending on how far they can see at that age and just do that with one a couple times not a bunch a couple times so a little little blue collar just man just runs out there and grabs that thing and snatches it up and comes back even growling a little bit you know and you get it and you throw it again so very high desire very high desire it's a very dominant animal and so you, then we put little blue collar back, and then we're going to get little black collar out. And she also was interested in it. It was real good, right? And then you get little pink collar out. And everyone's always got a pink one on one of the girls. And and she watched you, but then a bird flew somewhere, so she looked over there. You know, and then, then she didn't go the second time. So who knows? Maybe she has a lower desire, or maybe she was really more into the bird. Now you're going to get your little, the little... Uh, Orange collars up. Yeah, you get her out and she kisses you. And then, and so then you throw this thing and she runs out and gets it and comes back, drops it halfway, and then runs to you and kisses you again, right? And so, oh, and darn, she dropped it. So go get it and just happy. And we, we don't make them be steady or do any trick stuff. We just want to see the desire to retrieve. So you throw it again. It went too far and it rolled down the hill. Bam, man, she goes all the way down there and gets it. Comes back again, sets it down a little too soon, and then wants to kiss you again. All right, so right now, oh, that blue collar is looking pretty good, right? So now what you're going to do, you haven't worn them out, and you haven't done all the puppy love and pet and love and pet. And, you know, just wait, because what, what you're there, you're going to spend a lot of money has been spent on those puppies, and you're spending a lot of money on this dog. So let's act like this is an investment, because it is, in addition to all the other emotional stuff. Take your four girls, put them in a little crate or I don't care, laundry, well, they're probably too big. And out behind your neighbor's place is a, <clears throat> a big old open space, a, you know, something or a farmer's field even better. Let's have a big old thing. And they've never been out there because, you know, they, your neighbors have kept them right there on the, on the, in the backyard and stuff. You don't take them out in the backyard where they live, right? We're going to take them somewhere they have never been. All four of them get them where they're not by mom they're not by the other puppies they don't hear them and smell them yeah you got to go to the left for here folks and don't have the neighbor going with you telling you look at that little pink collar she don't just go out there take put the four dogs down and head out now right now it's going to be interesting don't head out 20 feet and stop head out at a six week old puppy speed head out and turn around and look so they may never have done anything like this before, right? So they're all standing there going, what's happening? Okay, keep going. Just slowly, but move on out. Watch what happens. Here comes Blue Collar. Running out in front. Run, not only running to you, but out in front and heading out and going, this is awesome. I've never been out here before. What is that? And they're all over the place, right? That's a little Blue Collar. And then um, little Orange Collar, she's looking and looking back and forth and goes mm, i think i'll go too and so she comes over but she comes over to you not out exploring with black collar and then the other two pink collar just sits there because she's not sure what all this is right she's just not sure she's sitting there and then the, other, the black one or whatever yes yeah, that one comes out too and goes with you and then runs out and sees the blue collar and then runs visits everybody and so now we're at least all kind of moving through the field except the pink collar is still kind of slow going i don't know about this okay and you're heading out my collar's out in front of you and then found you know something terrible 
you know, some excrement of something that was out there. And then you go, oh, okay, get over here. Those that eat stuff, right? And you grab that one and pick it up so it, you don't give them a sick puppy that evening. And you keep going and you head out another direction. And by golly, there's an orange little one right there with you. And then you come up to, uh, let's say there's some, it goes down a little bit and there's some rocks. And you, so you're going to go down this kind of little rocky area, a little step. And down kind of towards the, to where the trees might be or something. You just walk. It's not, there's no way a puppy could get hurt, right? There's no puppy ain't going to fall three feet down onto a rock. It's a maybe eight inch drop or something like that. And you step down this thing and you keep going. But watch. So here comes the, black, the blue collar dog. Doesn't even notice there's a drop there because it's like, whee, we're going. So it takes off, right? And, and then smacks, you know, those little, when they smack their chin, you can hear it. Sounds really bad. That duck smacks, whew, gets up, shakes off, goes, heads off. This is awesome. Let's keep going. And et cetera. And I can go on and on. But so the blue one comes up and goes, oh man, there's got to be, I don't know. It sits there and it watches the black collar. Here comes orange. Pink is, pink's just not going to go. Pink's looking at going, that is like a cliff. I'm not going. Pink stays there. Orange collar sits there and, and uh, looks at that and looks at that and goes three feet over to the right where it's there's no drop-off. Comes on down the hill with no drop-off, runs over to you. And finally the blue one goes, well, yeah, I'll do it. What the heck? Jumps off. Doesn't smack as bad because it knows it's there and keeps going. All right. Right now, these puppies have told you a lot about their character at that moment, anyway. Their character at that moment. So, you got, you know, a lot of people are just looking at this blue collar dog going, I like this dog, right? And then the, also the black collar looks pretty good, thinks about stuff. But the orange, who did the biggest troubleshooting, problem solving there of all of them? That funny little orange dog. So, anyway. You've been out a while now. It's, you know, they're little. They, they can't go very far. It's been a big adventure. Now we're going to head back to the house. Not exactly the way you came. We're going to go around and <clears throat> up where it's at the hill. There's no drop off, but a little steep. So you walk down through some trees and stuff. Oh, more good stuff to eat. You got to go grab the black dog over there. And then the blue dog saw that and went over there too. So now you got the, the blue and the black dog. And you're getting them out of the nasty stuff that they're eating. Some old dead bird. And then an orange, though, it looked at it, but you went to the right, so the orange one went to the right with you. And now you're going up this kind of steep incline, and you're heading back to the house. Pink Dog is just sat up there still waiting for you all to come back. Sees you, now that you're back up where at the level she was, she comes running over there where you guys are. And you're heading up this hill, and you, and you accidentally kick the orange one because it's right there under your feet. Ugh. Black Dog went back over to where it fell and hit its head, right? Hit its little jaw. Checking that out. The blue one followed that one over there. And so now you're calm, trying to get them up, and you speed up a little bit, right? Because that's often very compelling for puppies. So you speed them up, and they see, see you, and they go running, and they're just having a big time. That little orange one is running, still right with you, still right with you, and et cetera, moving on. The pink one joins you guys, and... <clears throat> Every and then sees it. We're going back to the yard. Runs back. So all you did was go out. You saw something about retrieving. You saw something about their physicality. You saw something about how much they think. You saw how important you were all and all this. You saw what their priorities were. 
you saw their how well they are how good they are at moving and you saw a little bit about what the spirit what the motivation of that dog is you saw that stuff right so they're tired and they get back and oh look at the boys the boys are a lot bigger than everybody and then you let the breeder tell you all the stuff you want really listen for that noise thing all right all right and so now the world goes back you're going to come back in a week so that was six weeks you're going to come back at seven weeks remember we're doing the ideal thing so you can and yeah i wouldn't go over there every day and do it that's the breeders get to do that but i would go there next week you come back same deal yeah saturday's still good and go do something very similar go check out the retrieving again check out you know again that's important and just because a dog doesn't have a high interest in it doesn't mean that it won't but when it does have a high interest that it's going to probably stay right so watch that but while they're doing the retrieving watch what their priorities are and all of that that black dog is retrieving and looking for stuff to eat and you are there providing all of that the blue dog kind of goes with what the black dog's doing. And uh, the pink dog has gotten a lot better. You know, this time the pink dog retrieved, whooped out and back, wasn't watching too much stuff and was watching everybody and, and did a pretty good job. And the, the orange dog is just, and you do your little, every time you do the face thing, right? You do the face thing. You hold them up and make goo goo face noises at them and see what they do. Because you know what the black dog's doing. It's looking at you and then tries to, kiss you and then wants to get down because it looks like that dog has something in its mouth and it wants that and etc etc and the little orange dog is dissatisfied with just staring in your face right so you go and do these these kind of tests don't when you go out and take them out for their little adventure walk again this is very important it's somewhere they haven't been before and it's just you and it's just the dogs. If you've eliminated a dog, say there's one in there that just really has no interest, go ahead and leave that one behind. The ones that you're interested in. Take out again. Go somewhere different. Find, you know, go through some heavy cover. See who has the ability to think about it and, again, problem solve. I love that. Some dogs, that black dog, right into the heavy cover, right into the cactus. Right? Makes a bunch of noise. Got to go over and get the kicks out. Um, you're doing this in New Mexico, right? And and see what how how they are now. Put the make things that are never unsafe but challenging. See what they do. See if they stay with you emotionally, mentally, and physically. Because a lot of times when dogs are like, this is hard to get up this hill then their structure may not, it's not a for sure thing, may not be as good as the structure of this other super athletic little thing. But then see what their priorities are. Is it eating? Is it what everybody else is doing? Is it interacting with you? Now, be careful on the interacting with you thing. And, and people really like that. Oh, look, at it just wants to sit with me. Well, if it just wants to sit, okay, that is not a positive you need a good balance between a dog highly interested in the retrieving and the going through the field and the movement and the walking and whatever adventure you have and also wants to do that with you. Because if they just want to sit on you or be next to you, it's because maybe you're warm and so that's why it went, or you smell like a hot dog or it doesn't want to go over there with the other dogs. It always gets beat up. 
So a lot of times the little clingy thing, rarely is that positive. Rarely is a clingy dog a positive thing. So you go and you do all this stuff. If you, and, and then go back at eight weeks and you have this written down. So did black dog look like a raving crazy maniac? And then on, on the second and third week you're looking at him? Really tune in, really suddenly not be so interested in beating everybody up, but in hoping you'd throw something or hoping you would go for a walk. Things can change. That's why I said one day picking, I could I could never, I would just don't want to do that because I want to see if it's a consistent behavior or just an anomalous thing that happened that one day. And it's a weighted bunch of things. But if you're going to train an animal from someone who's done that their entire life, have one, one, that wants to work with you. Two, likes to learn. Three, has the mental ability to problem solve and work things out. That's the best kind of dog to train. And then you couple that with a high desire to do the work, the retrieving, the walking, the getting through the field that actually literally enjoys it and has the physical ability and the spirit to do all that stuff. So if they're already predicting everything you're going to do and moving ahead of you and doing it all, that's like what, that's what tollers do in my experience. You know, you, that, that is a cool thing and it's also annoying because like quit trying to tell me what we're going to do. We're not, we're going to go do this. So <laughs> that can be a difficult thing. I'm not bad mouthing tollers. I'm not, I don't know. I've rarely been smart enough to train the ones I've had. It's been a big challenge, but people need to be aware that you want a dog that, is something that's very workable for you, but they have to care about you. And sitting on your foot or following your daughter around because she had a hot dog at lunch is not necessarily a real positive thing. The other thing, again, I'm, I started with this and I'm gonna kind of wrap up with this. You don't want crazy and there's a lot of crazy out there. Can crazy work? Yeah, yes, done it a lot. But I had to really work hard and I had to work on, I had to teach the dog to focus and remain focused. And it's a lot easier to teach that to a dog that likes to be focused versus one that doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. And then you have to sometimes use a little more training pressure, a little more convincing, that kind of thing. But do not go get the one that is just clingy and sits there and doesn't have a lot of interest but seems like it's really nice. That's the hardest dog in the world to train because it's not really that motivated by the work and the adventure and the spirit. So come up with your own things that are also important to you. Ask your breeders about cleanliness. Um, the dog that's the first to the dog bowl just means that the one that likes eating most. I don't view that as anything that's, you know, makes me want to get a dog. The, you want them to have a good appetite and not be picky, but it, you know, those kind of dogs eat stuff and die. I mean, you gotta be, you don't want a maniac about about beating up other dogs. You don't want a dog that just wants to eat no matter what. Um, even though every puppy out there, retriever puppy, you guys, when you take the daily walk on the field with your puppy, will eat the most horrific things you've ever seen. And then I get emails, how can I, can I put the electric collar on? No, do not do that. They all do this. They all just, the only thing you can do is just do your best to avoid it or get them out of there as quick as you can. But there is almost no breed worse than a Labrador puppy finding the most disgusting things in the world and having them down the throat just as you get to them. So that is kind of part of the deal. But, you know, so you don't want one that's really good at that already at five weeks, if possible. But go watch above all. 
you know, listen to what your breeder says. Find out some of the key things, cleanliness, noise, that kind of deal. Uh, a, a real aggressive dog uh, to other dogs, for me, I, you know, I don't care for that at all. That can uh, often lead to some real big problems. But look for dogs that care about you, that love what their work is. I mean, really love it. I, I like a high desire on that, on that. But balance that out with their connection with you and their ability to problem solve and think about things. Because many dogs that look brave and bold are just stupid because they can't assess the danger, the damage, like the little dog that just went off the, you know, and just went off that rock down onto the bottom one because it was so busy having a good time, it didn't stop and look. Those dogs get hurt hunting too. So look for dogs that can problem solve and have a real spirit and heart and a real connection with you. And yes, particularly if you're allowed some time, you can do that. But if you can possibly go look yourself, uh, you know, then you then you kind of know. Or else just have a breeder that you can really trust that knows what you want and knows how to look at it. So that's my kind of long podcast today on picking out puppies um, because it can be done. It can. I could go on here for two hours telling you stories about that stuff. Um, just be observant and also remember, you know, just because they're not doing something. They just may be slow developers. There's also that too. So good luck to everybody that's getting puppies. What an exciting, exciting thing. Be sure you plan to do the walk. Single most important dog training thing in the entire galaxy. All right, make, find out about that and go do that with your dog once you get them home. But good luck with the puppies. And uh, let's all hope that winter finishes up with us and we can get where we can get out training hard again. So everybody stay healthy and happy. And I'll be back next week.